I'm your host, William Tapley, also known as the Third Eagle of the Apocalypse. Stop, the stop, 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 stop. You cannot make it look like William Tapley is supporting our program. Sorry, folks. Chris Roseborough here, just to remind you, Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. That means we depend upon you, your generous gifts, and financial contributions in order to continue bringing Fighting for the Faith to you. And no, William Tapley is not our spokesperson. Uh, if you don't already support us financially, you can do so by visiting our website, fightingforthefaith.com. When you get there, you'll see two friendly yellow buttons. One says donate. The other says join our crew. And when you join our crew, you're signing up to automatically contribute. $6.95 to the ongoing work and mission of Fighting for the Faith and Pirate Christian Radio. And, of course, if you would like to specify the amount that you would like to contribute, you can do so by clicking on the Donate button, or you can make your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith and send it to Post Office Box 508, Fishers, Indiana, zip code 46038. All right, on to the program. It's time for another edition of Fighting for the Faith, Monday, March 26, 2012. You know, I have no idea if today's edition of Fighting for the Faith is going to be a flop. Gonna try something well similar but slightly different in uh, hour number two. I'll explain here. Thank you for tuning in. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. My name is Chris Roseboro, and I am your servant in Jesus Christ. And this is the program that dishes up a daily dose of biblical discernment. The goal of which help you to think biblically, help you to think critically, and help you compare what people are saying in the name of God to the Word of God. There is. Well, no shortage of crazy things being said out there. We we we're kind of on the cutting edge. I, I hate hate to put it this way, but some of the things we cover here at Fighting for the Faith, I'm covering them so early that you don't even know that they're going to be a trend yet, and it takes a while for them, you know, to pick up steam and become a trend. So it's not. I'm not a trendsetter. I just, I really am not. I'm just a, a really good researcher. <laughs> <laughs> it, it, it's probably not me. It's probably the tools that I set up. I mean, I've got my, I've, you know, I use my uh, Google Reader. I use Flipboard. Uh, you know, I, I use all these different technologies to, you know, to basically take the internet, which is this huge funnel of information, and and you know, and bring it down to a stream that I can somehow manage and and you know keep track of things that are going on. I hand pick, hand cherry pick, really the stories I want to talk about and the angles that I'm working the. Um, the uh, the different topics for each and every edition of Fighting for the Faith, and so uh, you know if it seems like you know Chris, you know they all these all seem like things that you're comfortable with. Uh, couldn't we get you outside of your comfort zone? Probably not. No, no, I, I I'm thinking it's not possible. <laughs> Otherwise, I'll become like Milton, you know, down in the basement, holding on to my stapler and praying that they do not move my desk again. I know some of you don't know what I'm talking about. I, yeah, a lot of you do know what I'm talking about. Anyway, it's Monday, and uh, man, I uh, <laughs> spent the whole weekend working, and uh, and I'm still not quite caught up, but that's okay. We're we're getting there. 
Um, let's see here. Uh, let's talk. You know, I'm looking at my notes here, looking at what I want to talk about. Uh, I want to prepare you for what we're going to do in hour number two, even though it's it's a sermon review of sorts, but it's not a sermon review. It's a week, uh, midweek uh, adult Bible study that we're going to be uh, reviewing. And we're going to actually, one by one, we're going to work through the entire series. So we'll talk about that. Uh, I got more Perry Noble news, by the way. Um, I'm going to be covering part two of Perry Noble Repents. And, um, and it is sort of, you know, it, I say sort of because I, we're, well, we're not quite fully there yet. So, all right, here's what we're going to do. Okay. Um, I've got a new Max Holiday that I'm going to be, uh, pre, uh, premiering here on Fighting for the Faith shortly. Um, you got a, you got a sneak peek of it if you follow me on Facebook and Twitter and you don't have a real job or you, you know, follow Facebook and Twitter <laughs> while at work. And I don't know how you're able to pull that off. I know a lot of, uh, corporations block Facebook and Twitter from their corporate sites, so maybe you have a smartphone that's picking. But you, you may have had a sneak preview of it. And I got to tell you, this uh, this edition of Max Holiday's uh, Church Day Soleil um, is is an homage. It's it, it, I am paying homage to uh, Hans Feeney of uh, Lutheran satire, and uh, and so I mean it's it's blatant. It's uh, if somebody already sent me a tweet and said this is like Lutheran satire, right? This is my way of Saying, listen, um, you know, uh, what, what do they say? You know, when you copy somebody, that's like the best form of flattery. I just, I'm a huge fan of uh, Hans Feeney's work at uh, the Lutheran Satire YouTube um, video blog. If you are not familiar with the work of Hans Feeney and Lutheran Satire, I think you can find them literally at youtube.com forward slash Lutheran Satire. Uh, the topics that he covers are hilarious. Uh, the 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 dialogue that the folks have there is just a, 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 just a, absolutely a scream. And uh, apparently he's he's paid for the uh, the premium account over at the Extra Normal website. I think Extra Normal is the website that he uses. You know where you can you know you have these computerized characters and you can put um, dialogue in their mouth, things like that. So and he has. Really interesting backdrops. Anyway, I know a lot of you are familiar with Hans Feeney's work over there at uh, Lutheran Satire. So, to uh, the the premiere that we're going to be doing, um, the the name of the uh, sketch is "Jesus Didn't Die for Correct Theology." D- Jesus didn't die for correct theology, and so I spent some time today using my Macintosh computer and the uh, the the British voices. Uh, I have I'm running OS 10 Lion. On uh, my Macintosh, and uh, when OS X Lion came out, they, they there was an upgrade in the computerized voices. And you know, I know you're just dying to know this, but um, I do something really nerdy. <laughs> um, man, do I want to confess this on the air? Uh yeah, I'll go ahead and do it. I may have done it already. And see, that's the thing. I, if I've already told you the story, and I can't remember telling you the story. Again, creeping decrepitude. I can hide my own Easter eggs. It, you know, again, Easter time is just full of uh, you know, surprises and fun, even though I hide my own eggs. But um, anyway, one of the things I do when I'm multitasking, which I'm not very good at, when I'm multitasking in the studio, um, I sometimes, in fact, like on a daily basis, have my computer read to me. You know, it's no, it's not like that. I know. See, that's the thing. As soon as I said that, I know some of you were thinking, "Okay, so my computer is like my dad," and I climb up into my computer's lap and I say, "Will you read to me?" No, it's not like that. See, you know, you got to stop doing that. Anyway, no, it, it. What it is is that you know, there's when I'm doing my program prep, 
I've got production work I'm doing for Pirate Christian Radio, trying to get the uh, radio streamer filled, working out the puzzle that is the daily puzzle here at Fighting at, at Pirate Christian Radio. And so what I'll have my computer do is read articles to me. I, you know, I in my uh, Safari uh, web browser, I can go go into the reader mode. And when you're when you're on a blog or a news site, you can hit reader, and this the text of the article comes up. I select it all, and then I tell my computer to read to me. And now you're probably wondering, well, which voice do you use? Funny that you would ask. Um, I actually use a, 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 the male British voice. Um, it, it helps me if – y'all remember that episode of Seinfeld where George Costanza discovered books on tape? And um, he, he thought that was the best thing ever because it would de- you know it would increase his productivity, make it possible for him to read books. And then he got a tape – uh, a book on tape, and, this, and the voice on the tape sounded just like his voice, and it was so distracting to him that the the whole thing flopped. And so, I, I, you know, here's the deal: is that I actually am able to pay better attention to my computer reading things to me if the voice isn't an American voice. So I pick uh, the British, um, the male British voice. I think its name is Daniel, and uh, it reads to me. It's true. And so, um, yeah, I just, you know, it's kind of nerdy. But anyway, so what I did for this Max Holiday is I used two of the British voices, one uh, male voice and the other female voice, and I had them talking to each other. It was rather interesting. But uh, we're, so we're going to, you know, I wrote the script. And anyway, it's in response to something that Kevin Gerald uh, wrote on Twitter. So we're going to be uh, previewing that here. Maybe I've given way too much nerdy information about myself. I've got a William Tapley update. Um, apparently, William Tapley's latest video is explaining how God is sending strange sounds on planet Earth as a warning of the end times. And um, I had I had not even ever heard of any of these events until William Tapley pointed it out to me. And then I, you know, I, I took his advice. I looked on YouTube and I found a whole bunch of. So we're going to actually listen to some of these strange sounds that apparently God is sending yeah, as a warning regarding the end times, at least uh, by the account of uh, William Tapley, the third eagle of the apocalypse and the co-prophet of the end times. Not sure, again, still who he's co-profiting with. Um, I've got a T.D. Jakes update. T.D. Jakes was uh, recently got some ink, digital ink, at the ChristianPost.com, and um, it, he claims that we're all born forgiving in nature, every human being is naturally born forgiving, and uh, that to me sounds contradictory to what Scripture says. So we'll take a look at that story, and then uh, I'm going to do part two of Perry Noble repents dot 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 sort of. So we're going to do that, and then in uh, hour number two, um, we're still going to do our sermon review time, but I'm going to do something a little bit different. And what I mean by that is this, is that I'm going to begin a weekly installment here at Fighting for the Faith, and I'm going to shoot for Mondays, okay? It doesn't mean I'm going to always hit it on Monday. I intend to hit it on Mondays, but, you know, my schedule sometimes gets a little crazy. But what we're going to be doing uh, for the next seven, eight-ish weeks is, uh, what's eight-ish? Just work with me. I'm I'm guesstimating the length of time as to how long the series is going to be. But um, it may be 12 weeks. Who knows? Um, but uh, what we're going to be doing is Granger uh, Community Church in Granger, Indiana, one of the flagship purpose-driven, seeker-driven churches 
um, who, 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 they're kind of in the process of some major changes there. They're recasting their vision and all this kind of stuff. And uh, and but uh, they on Wednesday nights offer a uh, an adult class, and you can go into the main. I don't want to say sanctuary into the main auditorium, the main stage room there at uh, Granger, and they have tables set up. And so this is supposed to be the equivalent of like a midweek in-depth study kind of thing. And they have been they have just recently concluded working their way through Blackaby's book Experiencing God. Now, I've mentioned Blackaby before. In fact, Blackaby's concepts regarding hearing the direct voice of God are a critical component of the entire seeker-driven movement and their leadership methodologies because as we've learned from Dan Sutherland and uh, from the you know the purpose-driven hostile takeover tactics that he teaches in his uh, trans, uh, transitionings uh, seminar, is that uh, the the seeker-driven leader elect. Um, let's say that you're a pastor and you've decided that you're gonna you're gonna chuck traditional church. You're gonna get rid of the normal way of doing things and you're gonna go with a seeker-driven method of leadership. Well. Um, in the the beating heart of this thing is something called vision casting, and, and and this is all based on Blackaby's teaching from his book Experiencing God. The idea for the seeker driven pastor elect at this point is that he has to prove to God that uh, he's serious about receiving a direct vision from God as to how God wants him to change up church. Okay, uh, you, you can think of this direct re- vision idea as you would like maybe a prophet of Old Testament hears the word of the Lord kind of thing. So the pastor has to first make himself, well, m- stick his hand up and go, oh God, pick me, pick me, pick me, please, please God, I'm right here. And then God will go, okay, you got my attention, prove to me that you're serious. And so uh, what happens is, is the pastor then has to prove that he's serious by praying and fasting and really, 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 really earnestly showing God that he wants to receive the vision. And if God is satisfied with the uh, seeker-driven leader elects um, efforts and and sees that his heart is truly sincere, then God will give him directly a, a vision as to what he wants him to do with in in changing up the church. And then it's the seeker driven leader's job to cast that vision, and the then the flow of accountability goes from the pastor to his leadership team to the people. The leadership team and the people are responsible for making that vision happen it's the job of the leader to hold them accountable and keep them focused on the vision so that they can accomplish it and at the beating heart of this thing is blackaby's book experiencing god which by the way i uh, i read it over was it christmas that was one of the books i put on my list i got to tell you that book is horrible it mangles god's word so badly I could have sworn it was written by Rick Warren. But anyway, so what we're going to do in hour number two today, we're going to begin the first, this is the first installment of what will be a weekly installment for maybe the next seven, eight-ish, nine, ten, twelve weeks. And we're going to, one week at a time, walk through Granger Community Church's adult midweek class on the book Experiencing God, because uh, this is a book that needs to be taken on. These are concepts that need to be taken on and challenged biblically. So it's I'll still play the good, the bad, the ugly, the sermon review music, but it's you got to understand this. It's technically not a sermon. This is in in actuality an adult midweek. Suppose you know this is the the 
you know, at at Granger, this is supposed to be the class where the the biblical meat and depth is is being you know done and taken place. So uh, that's what we're going to do on today's edition of Fighting for the Faith. All, all I can say is this: we've got a ton of ground to cover, and uh, and again, I I'm, my prayer is that I don't mess this one up. You know, see, when I get off my routine, you know, anything could happen. So, you know, I'm just saying, you know, you, you need to be prepared for just about every inevitability. But with that, I think I it's probably important that I do this. Warning, fighting for the faith can be dangerous to your health. Listening with caution is strongly urged while doing any of the following activities. Operating heavy, deadly equipment, playing Farmville, or any time-wasting, brain-numbing activity. For sudden awakening at the sound of a particularly stupid isogetical statement could cause neck strain. Drinking liquids, drinking hot liquids, having liquids too nearby, not having any liquids nearby. The following medical conditions have been known to occur while listening to Fighting for the Faith. Cranial keyboard embedment syndrome, sinu-nasal liquid spewment disorder, steering wheel pounding clenched fist strain, continual gaping dry mouth atosis, and frustrative disbelief brain explosion. Please take proper precautions. Drinking straws, padding, and duct tape are recommended. So there's a great big beautiful tomorrow. That's the uh, music that I'll be playing for guys that are similar to or the same as uh, Kevin Gerald, uh, whom I lovingly refer to as the cheap Joel Osteen knockoff. Um, when Joel Osteen can't uh, attend a, a seeker-driven conference and actually grace everybody there with his uh, immediate presence, well, who are you going to call? Yeah, the, the, well, I mean, who who can you rely on? Who can you rely on to give you... Something that sounds almost exactly like Joel Osteen's ideas of a great, big, beautiful tomorrow. All you got to do is dream it. Well, the answer is simple. It's, I mean, you don't even have to ask the question, really. It's Kevin Gerald of the Champion Center out there in, in I think he's near Tacoma, Washington. Anyway, um, Kevin Gerald over the weekend, mm-hmm, he sent out a tweet on Twitter. By the way, I still hate that verb, tweet. Ugh. Every time I have to use it, I know it's technically correct and it's like culturally approved and everyone is all for it, but I'm not. Anyway, um, Kevin Gerald sent out a tweet over the weekend and <laughs> this is just ridiculous. Are you ready? <clears throat> Here's what it says. You're in good company if it bothers you that some Christians are quick to argue theology. Jesus didn't die for correct theology. There you go. See, da, 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 da. See, Jesus didn't die. You know, and, you know, it's funny, you know, gotta say this, you know, Jesus also did not die for the steak fajita platter at, um, at, at uh, Margarita's. I'm just saying, um, although that steak fajita platter is to die for, 
Jesus didn't die for that either. So, you know, I mean, what do you say to somebody who says that Jesus didn't die for correct theology? Well, I sat down and thought about it, and while I was thinking about it, I came up with an idea. I thought I'd write a Max Holiday sketch, and as my way of saying thank you to Hans Feeney and the folks over there at Lutheran Satire, I decided to, well, have the dialogue done by computer as as, as a blatant homage to uh, the folks over there at Lutheran Satire and the fine work that they do. So here's my Max Holiday's Church Day Soleil sketch entitled, Jesus Didn't Die for Correct Theology, as my response to Kevin Gerald's claim that Jesus, well, didn't die for correct theology. Here we go. Max Holiday's Birdcage Theater presents Church Day Select. Doesn't it bother you how some Christians are quick to argue about theology? Jesus didn't die for correct theology. Wait a minute. Did you catch the double standard in that statement? What double standard? You just said that Jesus didn't die for correct theology. Yeah, so what? Do you believe that statement is accurate? Of course I do. So if you think that statement is accurate, would it be safe to say that you think that statement is correct? Of course I think it's correct. That goes without saying. If I think the statement is accurate I obviously think it's correct. I wouldn't have made the statement if I didn't think it was accurate or correct. Did you notice that your statement was making a theological point? Well, yes, I suppose it was. So let me see if I've correctly understood the statement you made. Okay. You said it bothers you how some Christians are quick to argue theology. Yes. That's what I said. It sounds like you're saying that it bothers you that some Christians argue theology in order to prove that something that you believe or have been taught is not correct? Well, um, yes, I guess that's what I was saying. But then you made a theological argument to try to prove that Christians shouldn't argue theology. Well, um, yes. So, on the one hand you say that it bothers you that Christians argue theology in order to prove your theology wrong but then on the other hand... You turned right around and employed a theological argument in order to prove that arguing theology is wrong. That's cheating. You can't use a theological argument in order to prove that arguing theology is wrong. That's like using logic to prove that logical argumentation is wrong or using a mathematical equation to prove that using math is wrong. I knew it. Knew what? You're one of those people. What do you mean by those people? You're one of those people who loves theology more than people. What on earth are you talking about? You're a close-minded blogger who lives in her mother's basement and spends every day in her pajamas on a beanbag typing away on a laptop while eating cheetahs and drinking Mountain Dew. Here. Down your neck. 
Tapley, third eagle of the uh, apocalypse and co-prophet of the end times <clears throat> introduction um, music. So William Tapley has uh, tapped into, <clears throat> notice the plan words there, has <laughs> tapped into this phenomenon that is apparently all the rage on YouTube. Uh, there are some videos to this effect that have gone viral discussing, and here's William Tapley discussing, well, Strange sounds that are apparently a warning from God regarding the end times. Yeah, it's best if I let him explain. Here we go. Welcome to Revelation Unraveled. I'm your host, William Tapley, also known as the third eagle of the apocalypse and the co-prophet of the end times. Quite a few of my YouTube subscribers have been asking me to do a video on all of the strange sounds which are being heard around the world. In fact, on YouTube, there are about 32,000 videos. You know, it, it, just a statement like that is so broad, you can drive a Mack truck through it. Really strange sounds all over the world. Videos <sighs> posted on this topic alone. So far, I have been reluctant. And the reason is... As you should be. It's because they do not sound like trumpets. people are describing them as the trumpets of the apocalypse. But I did get a very interesting message from Jamie Youngsongs. Now he's in England. And this is what he wrote. He said, so are the two witnesses in Revelation chapter 11, Enoch and Elijah, as they are here 1,203 score days or 3.5 years. And if so, what I make of it is that people on the earth find out the earthquakes, the tsunamis, etc., that have taken place over the last two years have been caused by these two people. And I answered Jamie and I said, yes, the two witnesses in Revelation are Enoch and Elijah, but no, they have not been causing the earthquakes. Now I can see his point. Enoch and you can. The Elijah are killed and the people of the world rejoice because they have been causing plagues, etc. So here's Jamie's response. If they are not causing earthquakes, etc., then what is the power given to them? And that got me thinking. 
Is it possible that Enoch and Elijah are causing all of these strange sounds? And if that is true, then these are not the <laughs> strange sounds. Okay. Oh man. Seven trumpets of the apocalypse. These are the seven thunders of the apocalypse. Oh man. You know, the hard part here at the moment is for me to not resort to well junior high tactics as far as my humor. Cuz I mean <clears throat> Just the way this whole thing is set up, I mean, the Beano jokes should be flying at this point. That's all I'm saying, but I'll spare you. First, let's take a look and see where Enoch and Elijah are found in the book of Revelation. In Revelation chapter 7, verse number 2. And I saw another... Hey, I gotta pause, gotta pause there for a second. Now, you're probably wondering, what strange noises is he even referring to? Now... Uh, I actually went onto YouTube and I found some of the uh, the videos in question regarding the so-called strange noises. In fact, if you look at like if you were to go onto YouTube and like it type in trumpets of the apocalypse or sounds of the apocalypse, you could easily find some of these videos. In fact, uh, here's one of them. Doom and gloom coming soon. Listen to thirty. Telling us the end is coming soon, very soon. Boy, these are strange noises. You'll see signs up in the sun and stars and moon. Doom and gloom, very soon. Rapture comes at night or noon. There you go. Make sure you got a ticket. Okay, uh, okay. That, that's just one example of the sounds of the apocalypse, the strange noises of the apocalypse. Um, yeah. Here, here. <clears throat> this is a legit one. <laughs> Chris, oh, that was awful. I know, I know. I should repent, but I probably won't. But uh, here, so here is, you know, I found some of these webs, these videos. See if you can make heads or tails of this. That's getting close. Now that noise you're hearing is supposedly in somebody's backyard. Sounds like the mothership's coming in for a landing. Now, this is from the Ukraine in Europe. So it's kind of a montage of, of the different places where supposedly these weird rumbly sounds are have been emanating. Sounds like the Titanic going to the bottom of the ocean. Al Capone shutting his vault. I don't know. Maybe it's from a land whale. You know, I, I, you know, I don't even know. And see, here's the deal: when a video like that goes up, I mean, how do you know that these sounds weren't added post-production? You, you understand what I'm saying? So, anyway, so that's what he's referring to. That's the phenomena that uh, <clears throat> the phenomena da, 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 that. Uh, <laughs> Oh, sorry, distracted there. Uh, that um, <clears throat> the, the third eagle of the apocalypse is talking about here. Angel. Now, this is the prophet Elijah. Sometimes Enoch and Elijah are described as angels in the Bible. Sometimes as saints. Sometimes as men. 
ascending from the rising of the sun. Now this is how we know this is Elijah, because Elijah came from east of Jerusalem, having the seal of the living God. Now this is Elijah's primary job is to seal the 144,000 converted Jews. And he cried with a loud voice to the four angels to whom it was given to hurt the earth and the sea. So Elijah does cry out with a loud voice, but I don't believe he is causing these thunders. Let's look. Yeah, I'm, I'm happy about that. I mean, look and see where Enoch is found in the book of Revelation. And in Revelation chapter 10, verse number 1. And I saw another mighty angel. Now this is the prophet Enoch. Come down from heaven clothed with a cloud, and a rainbow was on his head, and his face was as it were the sun, and his feet as pillars of fire. Now we know this is the prophet Enoch, because he lived 365 years. And the sun imagery in this case refers to a solar calendar of 365 days. Okay. Now another of Enoch's main jobs on this earth when he is prophesying in the end times is to give the timing of events. Whenever Enoch and Elijah are talking to each other, for example, Elijah often asks Enoch, what will be the timing? Now, I know you were hearing a noise in the background. That's wind against his microphone. Just, just So if you were thinking maybe Enoch and Elijah had showed up to do one of their strange thunder things, that's no, that's just wind in the microphone. Of the events in these end times. Another clue that Enoch is involved with telling us the timing of events in the end times is that in this description there is a passage of time. First we see a cloud, then we see a rainbow, and then we see the sun. Uh, yeah, passage of time, cloud, rainbow, sun. Do you know what that translates into solar days? I'm curious. Verse number two, and he had in his hand a little book open, and he set his right foot on the sea and his left foot on the earth. Now this is a good indication of Enoch's mission to the far off Gentile nations, both sea nations and land nations. Oh, man. Somebody send that man to Bible college. And he cried with a loud voice as when a lion roars. Now, could this be referred to the seven thunders? And when he had cried, seven thunders uttered their voices. And when the seven thunders had uttered their voices, I was about to write, and I heard a voice from heaven saying to me, Seal up those things which the seven thunders uttered, and write them not. And on this program, I am going to reveal the meaning of those seven thunders. <clears throat> so there you go. Um, William Tapley, I, um, if you want to get the rest of this, I don't want to spoil the, you know, the ending for you because the video itself is a total of 16 minutes long. So if you'd like to know what the real meaning of the seven thunders is from Revelation chapter 10, verse 4, and if that's a burning theological question that you have just been dying to get the answer to, and you were concerned that maybe this YouTube phenomenon of the strange noises of the apocalypse had some, you know, it had something to do with the end of the world, well, you know, the the mystery is solved. To quote Inspector Clouseau, and uh, and well, William Tapley has figured it all out, and you can go to YouTube.com forward slash Third Eagle Books to. Uh, to unravel the mystery yourself. So, 
That's all I got to say. And we're going to take our first break. And when we come back, we're going to continue with today's edition of Fighting for the Faith. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address, talkback at fightingforthefaith.com. Or you can ask to be my friend on Facebook. It's facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian. Or you can follow me on Twitter. My name there, at pirate Christian. We'll be right back. Jesus did not die for your 401k. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. You're listening to Pirate Christian Radio. We'll be taking your false doctrine now. drinks for people who need gratuitous amounts of piety with all new flavors like prosperity instant abundance it's like adding your bank account to an electrical store sound the alarm you're gonna be uncomfortably holy what's that you want mana well how about super mana made with lightning real lightning preaching <laughs> you'll be good at it it's a holy drink for men clergy these aren't your pastor's puns they are righteous puns Piety puns. Sinner, saint, sinner, saint. Prayers, lights, cross lights, power lights, more lights than your body has room for. You'll be so holy, Mother Teresa will be like, slow down. And be like, no! And roundhouse kick her in the face with your Bible pants. You have so much holiness, holiness. Ah. Just praying all the time. Power praying, power preaching, power praising, power fasting, power meditating, power laughing, power spawning, Chester. You have so much Chester. Just like Esau. Give prosperity to babies, they'll be holy too. Make your babies run abnormally fast. They'll be as fast as Elijah. People watch them running and think they're Elijah. They'll race as fast as Elijah. In a race with the actual Elijah. And it'll be a tie and they'll get deported back to Israel. Hey, go with the for sure thing. Don't gamble on your afterlife. Jesus. Try Bible terms. The energy that will make you ah, holy. Ah. Keep more of your money in your pocket. Hi, Chris Roseborough here. If you're planning to travel anytime in the near future, then don't pay more for airfare, hotel rooms, or rental cars than you need to. Longtime Pirate Christian Radio featured advertiser Cheap O Air can save you a Tijuana taxi load of money on all of your travel needs. Plus, Cheap O Air has a seasonal promotional code for all of our listeners that will save you an additional $10 off of Cheap O Air's already low prices. Visit piratechristianradio.com forward slash cheap, write down the promo code, and then click on the banner, and then book your travel today. Again, that's piratechristianradio.com forward slash cheap. We're back. Uh, 
warning. Um, strange sounds. I don't know what they prove, but they, if you want to tie it into eschatology, tough to do, probably distracts you away from our job, preaching the gospel. You know what I mean? All right, just a reminder, Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. That means we depend upon you and your generous gifts and financial contributions in order to continue to bring Fighting for the Faith to you as well as to the world. And you can partner with us financially by visiting our website, fightingforthefaith.com. And when you get there, you will see two friendly yellow buttons. One says donate. The other says join our crew. When you join our crew, you are signing up to automatically contribute $6.95 every month to the ongoing work and mission of Fighting for the Faith and Pirate Christian Radio. Of course, if you would like to specify the amount that you would like to contribute, you could do so by clicking on the donate button, or you can make your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith and then send that to Post Office Box 5 08 Fishers, Indiana, zip code 46038. Okay, from the Christian Post, headline reads, T.D. Jakes, we are born forgiving in nature, unforgiveness is learned. Okay, now this uh, this topic, just so you know, this, this ta- tags into one of the primary themes for the day. Okay, and I will discuss it openly. I don't normally do that, but I'm going to discuss it openly. The question is, when it comes to uh, sources of information or revelation regarding who we are and the theological sources and stuff like that, where can we go uh, to uh, – what sources can we go to that we can trust? Okay, uh, the answer is Scripture alone. God's Word alone is the only place that you can go to for a sure and certain revelation. In fact, everything is to be tested against God's Word. Therefore, God's Word is the only thing that we can trust to give us real information when it comes to doctrine and theology and things of that nature. Not our experiences. Our experiences are not a source of biblical revelation. They are not a source of divine revelation. Now, God may use circumstances to knock us down or to steer us back to his word and things like that, but that doesn't mean that they're a source of revelation. So we've got a problem in this story already because I can't think of a single passage offhand. Now, listen, I, I don't have the Bible memorized. Uh, you know, so if, when I open up my Bible and I start at Genesis and I end at the book of Maps, I, I can't say that I've got every word memorized. However, from, from my memory of reading through the scriptures, you know, constantly, I can't recall a single passage that says that human beings are by nature forgiving. However, I run across many, many, many passages, including the words of Jesus himself, that say that we are by nature evil, sinful, at war with God, um, objects of God's wrath, things like that, dead in trespasses and sins. So, I mean, being that forgiving by nature is is something that sounds like there's something inherently good in us by nature already just with the headline this sounds like it's running contrary to the revealed word of god and i'm not going to let td jakes have a pass despite the fact he has a mega church and he's a very popular television preacher in fact those two things should make me uh, hold his teaching to even greater scrutiny, if you know what I mean. Anyway, Michelle Vu wrote the article. The article reads, contrary to popular opinion, forgiveness is innate 
and unforgiveness is learned from our environment, says T.D. Jakes, pastor of the 30,000-member The Potter's House in Dallas and New York Times bestselling author. Well, see, that proves that it's got to be true. I mean, he's got 30,000 members at his church, and he's a New York Times bestselling author. That means everything he says about God must be true. Otherwise, he wouldn't have a 30,000-member church and be a New York Times bestseller, right? Wrong. That doesn't prove anything. Even somebody with a 30,000-member megachurch and is a New York Times bestseller who's been on the cover of Time magazine must have his doctrine and his teaching compared to the clear teaching of the Word of God. Quote, so this is a quote from T.D. Jakes, We develop our propensity to forgive and not to forgive by what we see illustrated at the early ages of our development. We don't come here unforgiving. Children are not unforgiving. You can punish them and they will hug you in a few minutes, said Jakes to the Christian Post in an interview. They can have an altercation with another child and want to go outside and play by lunchtime. How many kids does he have? Um, now I know those of you who, uh, have children, um, are sitting there going, what's he smoking? I, yeah, I don't know. Um, <laughs> cause, um, l- folks, folks, um, this is an argument ad experientium. Uh, you know, I, that's probably not real Latin, but you understand what I'm saying. And it sounds like argumentum ad limitum experientium from limited experience. Um, I have seen young children, <clears throat> Maybe some of them my own. I will neither confirm nor deny any of these reports uh, that they be the, the reports regarding my own children. But I have seen uh, young children who, when punished, will go to the room and say, I hate you. Now, again, I'm not con- either confirming nor denying that my kids said anything of the sort. I've seen children say such things. I've also seen children get in an altercation with neighbor kids and basically say and then proceed to act on the said statement that they never want to see that kid again and then proceeds to have nothing to do with that kid again. Pretty young kids say that. Um, so this <laughs> so so already we got a problem. OK, this is a problem. OK, this is. Argumentum ad experientium. I, again, it's not probably real Latin, but I, just, just work with me here. And um, this sounds like argumentum ad limitum, limited experience. You, know, you understand what I'm saying? So really, um, I'd like to know how many kids he's conducted this survey on. This just sounds like, well, okay. See, we come to the world all, all already, for, and we learned how to be not forgiving from our environment. Hogwash. It's serious. Hogwash. I have seen plenty of small children who have screamed in their mother's faces when disciplined. Have you ever heard of a temper tantrum? Just asking, you know. Have you ever been in Walmart and you've seen a kid just screaming at his mother saying, I hate you because you never let me have my candy. And, and he throws himself on the ground and goes, You ever seen that? I've, yeah, I've seen that many times. Again, I'm neither confirming nor denying that my own children ever did anything of the sort. But then again, my, my wife would have never put up with anything quite like that. So, you know, if any behavior like that occurred, there would have been swift justice administered. But anyway, and, and, and of course, legal, swift legal justice <laughs> administered at the hands of my wife. 
<clears throat> so um, then T.D. Jakes goes on to say, quote, We don't come here pre-wired to bear this kind of acrimonious type of lifestyle. Do you got a Bible verse for that? We don't come here like that. We come here with a certain propensity to be open, loving, accepting, and trusting. We learn to be unforgiving, doubtful, suspicious, and guilt-ridden, and anxious. Mm, we all learn that from our environment, apparently. So, you know, if, if you were to take children, okay, uh, you know, infants, you know, at, at birth, you know, the day they were born, and take a bunch of them and fly them to some deserted island that was run by angels, okay, that all of those children would, well, you know, because they already come this way, you know, they were raised by perfectly virtuous angels, those children would not be sinful. They wouldn't be unforgiving or acrimonious or anything like that because the angels would never model that, right? And so, you know, or guilt-ridden or suspicious. No, no, no. Those kids all learn that from their environment, not, not anything from their nature. This is, a, by the way, a very direct yet tacit assault on the doctrine, the biblical doctrine of original sin. Um, in times past, this would have been seen as yet more evidence that T.D. Jakes is a heretic. Not only is he a modalist, he's a Pelagian modalist, denying the doctrine of original sin. Anyway, Jakes, whose latest book titled Let It Go, Forgive So You Can Be Forgiven, goes on sale March 27th, says that since people learn how to be unforgiving, they can also unlearn this behavior. They can start by applying the biblical principle of resisting the enemy, and then he will flee from you to unforgiveness. Uh, when people feel the urge to go against someone, then they should try to go the opposite direction of the emotion. Oh, that sounds like such great moral advice. Um, do I need a crucified and risen Savior for any of that? Anyway, um, uh, quote, you don't want you to be controlled by those feelings, and you make those feelings submit. So you just make those feelings submit to you. And said the popular charismatic leader, see, we're all commanded to forgive, but we are not commanded to trust. We wouldn't be commanded to do something we can't do. Oh, classic argument. We would never be commanded to do something we can't do. We're commanded to obey all of God's law perfectly. Jesus said, be ye perfect as my Father in heaven is perfect. How you doing at that, by the way? Because um, Jesus is the only human being in all of human history that ever kept law, God's law perfectly. The purpose of the law is to get... To condemn us and show us our sin. That's its primary function. It does show us what a good work is. But here, because of the curse, because of man's fall, because of man's sinfulness, well, um, this is just a terrible, terrible argument. And it's not true. Because Jesus, when he taught his disciples to pray, taught them to say, and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Jesus, in the daily prayer that we call the Lord's Prayer, taught the disciples to pray daily for God's forgiveness. That's the thing that we can really do. If you think that you can really perfectly keep God's law because just because God commanded it, then you don't understand the depth and the nature and the magnitude of our inborn sinful nature. So not only is um, T.D. Jakes a modalist, he's also a Pelagian, a full-blown, full-blown Pelagian heretic. And, um, yeah, that's not good. All right, moving along. Now, I'm not going to play our normal uh, Perry Noble update music. The reason being I'm running out of time, and I think it's kind of important based upon what it is that Perry Noble is saying here. 
that we we listen carefully to his apology. This is uh, the segment is called uh, Perry Noble repents dot 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 sort of part two. Okay, now um, I I want to make something very clear up front. Okay, I am very very happy and very very proud of Perry Noble for the apology that you are about to hear. Um, if you are a, any, if you've been listening to Fighting for the Faith for any amount of time or you've attended one of my uh, lectures uh, regarding the seeker-driven movement, then you are aware that at the 2009 Unleash Conference held at New Spring Church in March of 2009, Perry Noble, to an audience of thousands of pastors thousands of pastors who were there to learn how to be pastors like Perry Noble said this. So Perry, what about the jackass in the church? The jackass in the church is the person that always screams, I want to go deeper. You know what I tell people that say that around here? You're only as deep as the last person you served. You want to talk deep? Let's go check your tithing record and see how deep you are. Deep? Deep? Most Christians are, uh, John Maxwell said it, most Christians are educated way beyond their level of obedience anyway. What you're really saying is you want me to stand on the stage and confuse the heck out of you so you don't have to apply what I teach on Sundays. I could do that. I want more worship. You got six other days. Yeah, don't go to church expecting that, you know, there would be worship. If you were full of Jesus when you walked in here, it wouldn't matter to you how much we sang. Okay, now, that was from the 2009 Unleash Conference. Okay, again, please remember that the audience was comprised of thousands, and I mean thousands of pastors. So that's who the audience was. And he basically said that the jackass in the church is the one who always says he wants to go deeper. Well, a couple of Sundays ago, Perry Noble publicly apologized for that statement. I would like to play for you what he said so that you can hear his apology. Number two, I need to repent of my perceived disliking of discipleship. Repent of my perceived disliking of discipleship. That's why I said this is a Perry Noble repents sort of. Okay, so I'm thrilled that he's addressing the topic. Okay, already we got a problem. This is not a matter of a perceived, uh, of perception. This is a matter of what you said. Notice I said perceived. And there's a really great reason for that perception, but I'll because of your words and your attitude and your statements. Repent. I want to say I'm sorry. I want to ask for your forgiveness. Um, in my mind, uh, a war began brewing in the church when I was about a year and a half into ministry. 
Some of you know the story, some of you don't. I, was, um, I served at a church the Sunday before I got there. The pastor and the worship leader left the church. Um, he wasn't the worship leader. They called him a choir director. Um, anyway, he le- they left the church. I came in, church split, 100 people. I was the only staff member, been a Christian less than a year. I was part-time. So welcome to ministry. Um, I, I got there, I began to serve, and one night I began to preach. Now, one of the things that's always lit my fire is evangelism. I love to see people meet Jesus. I love to see people come to Christ. It's that thing that moves me. It's that thing that I love. And so I was preaching a sermon. They let me preach one Sunday night. You can do less damage on a Sunday night than you could a Sunday morning in a traditional Baptist church. And so I got to preach on a Sunday night, and I preached on... We're going to reach this entire town for Jesus. Now, it was Pickens, so there was like 42 people. But I was fired up about the fact that we were going to reach the entire town for Jesus. We're going to reach this town for Jesus. We're going to go out and reach this town for Jesus. And this church is going to grow. And lives are going to be... I, I mean, I was fired up. And then after the service, a lady came up to me and she said, I think you got it wrong. It's like, I beg your pardon? And she said this. We like it here the way it is. So what are you talking about? She said, we don't want to grow. We just have a nice church where everybody knows everybody. And we're more focused on making disciples than we are doing evangelism. So I hit her. I'm just kidding. I didn't didn't hit her, but I automatically became angry. And this was the thought that popped in my mind. It's either evangelism or discipleship. And so for years, I preached evangelism. We're going to go reach. And listen, it's biblical. Matthew 28, Jesus said, go reach the world. Mark 16, 15, Jesus said, go preach the gospel. Luke 24, 48, he says, you are witnesses of these things. John chapter 20, verse 21, he says, as the Father has sent me, I'm sending you. And Acts chapter 1, 8, Jesus says, you go reach everybody. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 tells us we're ambassadors. Romans 10 tells us that if they don't hear the word, they won't come to Christ. It is inconsistent with scriptures to say, we're just going to make disciples and we're not going to go out and reach people for Christ. It's the it, Listen, it's just stupid and it's equally stupid to say all we do is reach people for jesus and we don't care about discipleship i made that mistake in fact i used to make fun of people that said i want to go deeper in my walk with christ i i've yeah uh-huh that's one way of putting it i've literally made fun of those people from stage you want to go deeper in your walk with christ i've made fun of you and here i want to yeah you called them Jackasses. Apologize to you. Because going deeper in your walk to Christ, if that's really what you want, that's awesome. That is not a bad thing. And here's why. Here's what I know. If you go deeper in your walk with Christ, you also go wider in your walk with Christ. So as you go deeper this way, your arms open up and you literally want to reach more people for the kingdom. You cannot go deeper in your walk with Christ and not love the people that Jesus actually died for. I also know that there's not one example in the Bible anywhere of a disciple that was not an evangelist. And there's not 
One example anywhere of an evangelist that didn't also disciple people. It's not either or. It's both and. And so this church is passionate about evangelism. But we're also passionate about discipleship. About Okay. So, this is positive. This is absolutely a step, maybe even more steps in the right direction. And so we should thank the Lord that he has been convicted to the point of publicly repenting and apologizing for his past behavior and for his past statements. However, I need to make a point, and that is this. There's two things that really need to happen at this point. Number one, he needs to own the fact that the perception was created by him, and it wasn't a misperception on the part of people who you know, who are just bloggers who live in their mother's basement that he was pitting evangelism against discipleship. He owns that all by himself. And the bloggers who pointed it out and the people who put the videos on the Internet of him saying that, like me, um, we were right. That's what he was doing. He was pitting evangelism against discipleship. Okay, so we need to we need to just own this straight up. Lose this idea. I need to apologize for the perception. No, no, no. You create. It wasn't a perception, and it wasn't a misperception. It was an absolute. Well, basically, you know, observation and correct statement regarding what you had said there at Newspring. But secondly, the next thing that needs to happen, because at this point, this is just repentance, sort of. We're, in, we're, in, we're moving in the right direction, Perry, and I'm very encouraged by this. But because of the fact that you made those statements, what, three years ago? Three years ago. That was... March of 2009 that you made those statements. And the venue that you made those statements in was, well, New Spring Church's pastoral leadership conference called Unleash, that the audience was full of pastors who were there to learn how to be better pastors that you need to basically take this message and you need to beat a drum with this at every single pastoral leadership venue that you're invited to for the next three years or more so that you undo the damage that you've done by teaching other pastors that that's an attitude that they should have towards their congregation. Because I've received the emails from the people who've attended churches where their pastors learned that they are to drum out and get rid of people who want to go deeper in the scriptures, and they learn that from you, Pastor Perry. So you're not done repenting here. You need to make it clear to every single pastor that you have been in communication with and you coached and you've mentored and who've attended your Unleashed conferences that you were flat out dead wrong. 
for saying what you said and that they, if they followed your advice and started treating other people and the, the people in their congregations as jackasses because they wanted to go deeper in the scripture because that's what you taught them to do, that they need to repent and that's not right. Because the damage is not limited just to your congregation, Perry, because you market yourself as a pastor to pastors. That being the case, you're not done repenting here. In fact, saying you're sorry to the people in your congregation is just the tip of the iceberg as far as your repentance on this at this point on this topic. You need to repent to every pastor, and you need to repent. Make sure that you get this message out to the people in these congregations of the people you've been mentoring so that they know that that's not right. Now, this leads to an obvious next question. That is this. I personally think that... At this point, the magnitude of the error absolutely disqualifies Perry Noble from further being a mentor to pastors. You get what I'm saying here? He needs to go on the repentance tour, and he needs to stop. The, the, the New Spring Leadership Conference needs to come to a grinding halt. The Unleashed Conference should never be held again. He's disqualified from being a pastor to pastors until he is shown for probably the next decade, that he has shown himself to be one who rightly understands what pastors need to be mentored in because he's not a mentor. He, nobody should be mod modeling their ministry after Perry Noble at all, and yet he markets himself as a mentor to pastors, and he shouldn't be. The fact that he would have be so wrong on something so vital as the fact that the church has to have a twin focus of evangelism and discipleship, that he, I mean, and that he's been basically, this has been three years. It has been three years since he made those statements. It's taken him three years to figure out that what he said was wrong. I'm sorry, but that shows me this is somebody who is not qualified to be a mentor to pastors. He has no business marketing himself in that, in that respect. He needs to, Go on the repentance tour. Make sure every leadership conference that he's invited to that he's beating this drum and saying, I was wrong, and then he needs to get out of the business, period. He has no business mentoring other pastors. And that's something I feel very strongly about because he is, I mean, seriously, I mean, this this is about as bad as being wrong about who Jesus is. But then again, you know, We'll just give a pass to, you know, T.D. Jakes and guys like that. So, I mean, sure, we'll just give a pass to Perry Noble. But we shouldn't. And if you're, if you're attending a church that thinks that Perry Noble is somebody they need to emulate their ministry after and, and who, they, who they think is somebody who is representative as a man of God who needs to be emulated, you need to basically confront them and say, if he was this wrong regarding the fact that the church is supposed to have a twin focus— what other things has he been wrong about? How about the fact that he failed to apologize for hearing from God about the thing he did about you know, purging the membership rolls? Um, folks, where there is smoke, there is fire. And I'm glad that he's repenting. 
Um, but at this point, I don't think we've got a clean bill of health here. Um, and I don't want other pastors to catch what he's had. You get what I'm saying? Or still, maybe still has. So anyway, again, I'm very thankful that Perry Noble has repented, sort of. But he's not done repenting. He's not done repenting until he undoes the just devastating damage that he's done in other people's congregations by teaching their pastors to take that attitude with with you know in their churches. Yeah, I'm sorry. And until I see that, I will only consider this to be partial repentance on the part of Perry Noble. All right, we are up on our second break. If you would like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address, talkback at fightingforthefaith.com, or you can ask to be my friend on Facebook. It's facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian, or you can follow me on Twitter, my name there, at pirate Christian. We'll be right back. Not really a sermon review, but you know, you know, well, we talked about it earlier. You'll get it. We're going to be looking at a class on the Blackaby book, Experiencing God. You don't want to miss it. We'll be right back. Relevance Schmelevance. We preach Christ crucified for our sins. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. Pirate Christian Radio Theater presents Death of a Salesman. Are ye a salesman? Why, yes, I am. Can I interest you in some... money in your pocket. Hi, Chris Rosebro here. If you're planning to travel anytime in the near future, then don't pay more for airfare, hotel rooms, or rental cars than you need to. Longtime Pirate Christian Radio featured advertiser Cheap O Air can save you a Tijuana taxi load of money on all of your travel needs. Plus, Cheap O Air has a seasonal promotional code for all of our listeners that will save you an additional $10 off of Cheap O Air's already low prices. Visit piratechristianradio.com forward slash cheap, write down the promo code, and then click on the banner, and then book your travel today. Again, that's piratechristianradio.com forward slash cheap. Okay, we're back. Hour number two of Fighting for the Faith. This is our normal sermon review slot, but we're going to do something a little bit different.
The good, the bad, and, well, the ugly. We review it all here at Fighting for the Faith. We're an equal opportunity sermon reviewing service. Today's sermon is not a sermon. It's a midweek adult Bible study from Granger Community Church, Granger, Indiana. We're going to work our way through the entire series. I've just looked. It's 12 installments, but we're going to do it one week at a time. So at the end of this, we'll have a complete review, if you would, of the curriculum. The book they're working their way through is not a book of the Bible. It's Blackaby's Experiencing God. And boy, has this book got some problems, folks. So this is what constitutes the in-depth Bible teaching over there at Granger. Keep in mind that the Sunday service is the seeker service. It's seeker-friendly. They preach on life tips and relevant whatevers to attract the uh, those people who are far from God kind of thing. So this is the, if you want the depth, this is the depth. And so um, they're not working their way through the book of Romans or the you know, book of First or Second Corinthians or Matthew or Genesis or the Torah or even any of the prophets. No, they're working their way through Blackaby's book. So the person teaching tonight is a kid. Yeah, I'm sorry. He's, he looks like a kid to me. His name is Jason Miller. So let me kill the music without any further ado. Here's our first installment of, well, a crack at in-depth, seeker-driven Bible teaching. So it doesn't quite have the same things we're looking for criteria-wise as far as a sermon review normally. What we're going to be doing is really kind of looking at the content here. I, I'm not sure if I have the same expectations as I do for a sermon. So, anyway, let's... Uh... Uh, uh, uh. Might as well let the music play out. Um. Alright, here's Jason Miller, Week 1, Experiencing God. Hey, first things first... I'm curious if, uh, as you went around, did you, did you hear anybody at your table, or is your own story a story of the reason? Now, just so you know, we're picking up. They had like a, a, a icebreaker question that they were, or questions that they were supposed to have 17 minutes of discussion with the people at their table about. So we haven't gotten into any of the teaching regarding Blackaby's experiencing God. They just got done with the icebreaker question where they got to tell each other their stories because this is week one of the, of the course. I came to GCC is because somebody else invited me. Would you raise your hand if you ever heard that story or that is your story? Yeah, look around. The, just keep them up for one second. Keep them up. Look around the room, and this has nothing to do with tonight except to say that inviting works, right? Okay, thanks. I just wanted to make that point before we go any further because it's a really big deal. Hey, we're going to turn uh, and look at... Um, uh, something that Jesus describes as we get ourselves kind of framed for this whole experience. I want you to know that if you haven't done anything with experiencing God yet, you're not behind. I think there was, um, not everybody was clear on that. There was no expectation that you had done anything coming into tonight, except we hope you got a chance to register and get your workbook. So nobody's, we're all kind of starting on a level playing field. And tonight's just meant to sort of frame the experience and help us know what we're going to jump into in the day today. You guys know too, I hope that the experience in God journey for all of us, I think, is going to be more and more about what happens 
during the week as we work through the exercises and we do the, the time in, in the workbook and we listen to what God is saying to us every day of the week than just what happens in, in this environment right here. That's my way of saying if my teaching is really lackluster, get over it. This is still going to work out, I promise, okay? Um, how, uh, I was at a, a lecture uh, over at Notre Dame last week and there was this gigantic, well, he wasn't physically gigantic, but he is... Um, this, uh, this, this esteemed law professor from Princeton came in to give a lecture. And so, I mean, he's like, like the, the justices on the Supreme Court refer to him like by nicknames because he's so like esteemed, right? And he's this, this, uh, this Catholic scholar, this Christian scholar, and he's talking about law stuff. But he, uh, he's making a point and he interrupts himself because he's about to say, you know, Jesus actually was right about this one thing. <laughs> and then he stopped himself and he, he realized that that was kind of funny and stupid too. Now, um, the reason I bring that story up is because I think if we were all honest, we would actually admit that there are certain categories where we would actually be surprised if Jesus is right. Now, I know that's not the right thing to say. I know that's not, like, appropriate in Sunday school or church. But I think if we were honest, there are certain categories of expertise that we've granted to Jesus and certain categories of expertise that we're not so sure about. And one of those is about connecting to God and, and spirituality and relationship. Okay, now listen carefully. This is a weird way to start a in-depth Bible study, if you would. So Jesus knows what he's talking about when it comes to connecting to God. That is a strange way to be talking about Jesus. So you, part of what you have to listen for in this class, I don't know what to call it, is... Listen carefully for the expectations and some of the premises in the thinking here. What is, okay, so I'm supposed to look to Jesus because Jesus was showing me how to connect to God? Weird way to talk about Jesus. See, I think that because we, we, we've been schooled from like the very beginning to believe that Jesus is God, we forget that Jesus also connected to God in the person of his Father. And so we, we, we look at Jesus and, and we figure we can learn about lots of things, but I don't know if we actually think that we could learn from Jesus how to connect to God the Father, and I think that's one of the most extraordinary things. So Jesus is going to show us an example of, his life represents an example of how to connect to God the Father. This is a strange Christology brewing here. Sounds like he's not correctly understanding the communication of the attributes. In fact, I wonder if he's talking about Jesus in a way that actually slips into the Nestorian heresy regarding Jesus. And the Nestorian heresy, basically, uh, Jesus' divine nature and human nature do not mix. There's no communication of the attributes. I mean, they stay as far away from each other as the East and from, as from the West. You know, so, so basically, Jesus is basically God in a meat suit. I mean, it's not exactly the right way of putting it, but you get what I'm saying studying Jesus is he's actually showing us how a human being, because he's totally human, even though he's totally God, how a human being connects to God the Father. And we're going to take our cue from Jesus in this entire experience. And so um, we didn't ask you to bring your Bibles here. Don't worry if you don't have From this entire experience. Weird language. But if you do, you can turn to the book of John, book of John chapter 5. And we're going to look at uh, a, little, a little expression from Jesus here and talk about what it means for our experience in God's journey. So let me give you a second to turn in your Bibles. John chapter 5. What it means for our experience in God's journey? Again, weird language. John 5. You getting there? Did anybody ever do sword drills going up in, in Sunday school or camp? 
Sometimes I, 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 feel, I fear that I reveal to you that I grew up in like some kind of crazy Christian subculture when I say things like that. Um, John chapter 5. And I'm going to read in verse 16. So Jesus is doing these things on the Sabbath, and the Jews are persecuting him. And Jesus says to them, My Father is always at his work to this very day, and I too am working. And then for this reason, the Jews tried all the harder to kill him. Not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own Father, making himself equal with God. Then Jesus gave them this answer. I tell you the truth, the son can do nothing by himself, but he can do only what he sees his father doing, because whatever the father does, the son also does. For the father loves the son and shows him all he does. Yes, to your amazement, he will show him even greater things than these. And we're going we're gonna to kind of unpack that um, a little bit. Okay, now before he unpacks it, let's take, let's take a crack at it ourselves. Now, I'm going to reread that from the ESV. Um, I lovingly refer to it as the English sanctified version, although it's English standard version. Don't let that confuse you, because if you if you like at you know BibleGateway.com and you want to do a, a Bible search and you say, you know, I want to look in the English sanctified version, you won't find it. <laughs> just just saying, okay? <laughs> just I think somebody had sent me a Facebook message to that effect that they were having troubles there for about ten or fifteen seconds. I mean, I don't want to cause ten to fifteen seconds of confusion. So what we're going to do here, <clears throat> yeah, get, get 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 to business. Uh, we're going to put this all back in context. Context, context, context. These are three you know rules that I kind of keep going over as far as sound biblical interpretation is concerned. Although I didn't put it in the in that thing I posted last week. That's neither here nor there, though. You know, that's kind of you got to do this. You don't want to take rip a verse out of context here, reverse out of context there. Well, let's take a look at what's going on here in John chapter five. So John chapter 5, starting at verse 1, After this there was the feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there is in Jerusalem by the sheep gate a pool in Aramaic called Bethesda, which has five roofed colonnades, and in these lay a multitude of invalids, blind, lame, and paralyzed. Um, by the way, I think I recently saw archaeological photographs from this. They they have found this uh, sheepgate pool, um, and you know, archaeologically, we know where it is now in the city. Uh, so one man was there who had been an invalid for thirty eight years. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been there a long time, he said to him, "Do you want to be healed?" Which kind of is a fair question. So the sick man answered him, Sir, I have no one to put me into the pool when the water is stirred. Uh, while I'm going, another steps down before me. And then Jesus said to get up, take your bed, and walk. And at once the man was healed, and he took up his bed, and he walked. Okay, So this is one of those ones where it's almost as if this is like a healing against somebody's will, if you would. Um, and you, this kind of bears out in the greater story going on here. For 38 years, this guy, now if you could know, what is what are you talking about? Ah, okay. Sorry, I didn't set this up for you. Uh, the, the story of this pool is is that um, the reason why the invalids and the lame and the, who are those who are sick gathered around it is because in ancient times it is said that an angel from time to time would go into the pool and stir the water, and when you know somebody who was sick or ill or lame or whatever would get into the pool. The first person in would be healed. I mean, so there was some miraculous thing going on here at this pool at Bethesda by the Sheep Gate. 
Okay. So this guy had hung out there for 38 years. He had not figured out how to be the first person in. Okay. Kind of like the uh, the last paralytic sitting, uh, not standing, but sitting. So um, so Jesus said to ask him, do you want to be healed? Okay. The guy gives some lame answer. So Jesus says, get up, take your bed and walk. And at once the man was healed, he took up his bed and he walked. Now the day... Now, that day was the Sabbath, so this took place on Saturday, okay? So the Jews said to the man who had been healed, It's the Sabbath! It's the Sabbath! It's not lawful for you to take up your bed, okay? Now, watch what happens here. But he answered them, The man who healed me, that man, said to me, Take up your bed and walk. Thanks, Jesus. I can walk again. Thank you. I'm so grateful. I'm so thankful. No, no. I mean, so he's being, Hey, wait, you're not allowed to carry that on the Sabbath. And so what's he do? He blames Jesus. The, the guy who, who healed me, he told me to take up the bed and walk. So they asked him, who is the man who said to you, take up your bed and walk? Now, the man who had been healed did not know who it was, for Jesus had withdrawn as there was a crowd in the place. And afterwards, check this out. Check out this confrontation. Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, see, you are well. Sin no more so that nothing worse might happen to you. Now, Notice what the guy's response wasn't. He didn't say, you are so right, Jesus. I can't believe how unthankful, ungrateful I am. Thank you for healing me. You know, you're right. I deserve to have worse happen to me, right? He doesn't say that. Okay, watch what happens. So the man went away. He left and he told the Jews it was Jesus who had healed him. So he said, you know, so when he's confronted with the fact that he's carrying his mat on the Sabbath, he says, the guy who healed me, he's the one who told me to do it. When Jesus confronts him again, rather than saying, oh, thank you, Lord, bowing down at his feet and worshiping and praising and thanking Jesus, the guy goes and finds the Jews and say, that's the guy who healed me. That's the guy who told me to take up my mat and walk, right? So... At this, and this was why the Jews were persecuting Jesus, because he was doing these things on the Sabbath, but Jesus answered them, My father is working until now, and I am working. This is why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him, because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. Okay, Jesus at this point is claiming for himself deity, claiming to be equal with God, okay? The Jews got it, okay? So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, that the Son does likewise. Now, does this sound like something you and I could do? You know. Um, Jesus is, you know, you'll notice that the 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 kind of the gist of Jesus's point here has to, uh, has to do with the fact, yeah, I and the Father we are equal, and the Son can only do what the Father sees, what He sees the Father doing. Okay, for the Father loves the Son and shows Him all that He Himself is doing, and greater works than these He will show Him, so that you may marvel. For as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, so also the Son gives life to whom he will. The Father judges no one, but has given all judgment to the Son, that all might honor the Son just as they honor the Father. Whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word 
and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but is passed from death to life. Okay. Now, flat out, really, let me ask you a question. Does it sound like here that Jesus is teaching us how to connect to the Father the same way he connects to the Father? Not at all. I mean, the way Jesus is talking, this sounds like an exclusive connection, if you would. Okay? Jesus claims to be the Son of God, which in the Jews understood it rightly, that he was claiming to be equal with God. And then he goes on to elaborate on that point, not denying it, but saying, yep, that's the case, and then further developing the thought. So <clears throat> here Jesus is talking literally about the relationship between the Father and the Son in the, in the one holy trinity the, of the one true God. This is not something he's basically teaching us how to do something here. He's discussing the already existing relationship between the Father and the Son in the divine trinity. Got it? We continue. Jesus, this is really interesting and peculiar to me. Jesus positions himself as a follower of God the Father. Do you notice that? He says, I don't, I don't do anything except what I see God the Father doing. When we watch no, he's not positioning himself as a follower of God the Father. He's talking about the relationship between the Father and Son in the Trinity here. Jesus and the, and, the, and the ministry that he had on earth, I think it's easy to believe that when he healed a person, he just healed a person because he's like electrically charged with, with God juice and it's just in him. And anything he wants to do, he just does because he's God walking around the earth. But what if every time Jesus heals a person, it's because he's so in sync with God the Father, and because of the relationship that they share, he, he's being led by God the Father, he's feeling the heart of God the Father when he sees a person who needs healed, and it's because he's so connected to God the Father that he does that thing. It's kind of weird to think about Jesus like that, isn't it? When Jesus teaches, isn't it easy just to assume Jesus has all the truth inside of him all the time? His brain was just, when he came out of the womb, he had the deposit of like the Torah in his noggin. Is that, is that kind of how we think about it, right? But the, the Gospels actually say that Jesus grew in wisdom. See, for the first part of the church, it was really easy to believe that Jesus was a man, and they were trying to figure out how he could be God. And then for the last few centuries, we've all agreed that he's God, and we keep forgetting that he's also a man. Yeah, but at this point, Jesus in John chapter 5 is not talking about development as a man. So God walked around on this earth to show us how to relate to God and how to experience God. And we're going to. So God walked around on the earth to show us how to relate to God and how to experience God. I, I don't. What verses do you have that say that? our key from Jesus and look at a couple of things that are going on here. So like, like six observations that happen here with Jesus. The first thing that Jesus says is my father is always at his work to this very day. And that's really, really important. First thing that we want to lock into is the father's been working right up until now. The father's been working right up until now. God's not um, the God of the Bible and the Bible only. God's not the God who stopped working 2,000 years ago and took a sabbatical until he comes back in all his glory. God's working right up until now. And a lot of the stories that you guys told around your tables, as you said, how it is you came to GCC, are stories that are wrapped up with God working even right now. And that's, um, that's like square one for the experiencing God journey for us. There's another thing going on, though. He says, my father has worked to this very day, and I, too, am working. 
So Jesus says, God has me working with them. I'm, I'm getting on board with this, this train that's leaving the station. I'm going to be part of the work that God is doing. And then a little later he says, I tell you the truth, the son can do nothing by himself. He can only do what he sees his father doing. That's, that's not the way we think about Jesus, is it? We just think Jesus cruises through this world and does what he wants to do because he's God. But Jesus chooses to, to pay attention to the father and only do what the father is doing. So Jesus says, I, I do nothing on my own initiative because I'm, I'm following the Father's lead and everything that I do. He says, I watch to see what the Father is doing, right? Um, he only does what he sees his Father doing because whatever the Father does, the Son also does. Then he says, for the Father loves the Son. He says, the Father loves me. And so love is the way that this relationship flows. And then finally, um, and he shows him all that he does. The, the Father shows the Son all that he does. He shows me everything he's doing. So this could either be a story about Jesus and only Jesus, and this is just the way things work out for Jesus, or, or Jesus came to this earth to show every one of us what it means to experience God and to serve him in this world. And when Jesus is interacting with God, he's teaching us how to interact with God. When Jesus is following the Father's will, he's teaching us how to fo- follow the Father's will. Um, okay, so how do we see what the Father is doing so that we can do it? This is a problem, how he's reading this text and misapplying it. Where did he learn this from? Blackaby. This is what Blackaby teaches in his book, Experience God. Experiencing God. And this is a, um, this is a misreading of this text. Jesus is, is uh, observing the initiative of God the Father in this world and trying to keep on the Father's agenda. He's showing us. Okay, that, that's the key phrase right here. And I got to back this up because you've got to hear this. Because you, you hear this language in the emergent church, you hear it in the emerging church, and you hear it in the seeker-driven church, and it's from a misreading of the passage I just read. i got to back it up so that you can hear it for yourself in context. I'll put a little bit of front end on it so that we can hear it again in context. Here we go. Came to this earth to show every one of us what it means to experience God and to serve him in this world. And when Jesus is interacting with God, he's teaching us how to interact with God. When Jesus is following the Father's will, he's teaching us how to follow the Father's will. When Jesus is is, uh, observing the initiative of God the Father in this world and trying to keep on the Father's agenda, he's showing us how to do exactly the same thing. That's the paradigm. He's seeing the Father's initiative in the world and keeping on the Father's agenda. So the phrase where Jesus says, I watch to see what the Father is doing, or the, the point that I watch to see what the Father is doing, that is translated in Blackaby as you need to do the same thing. Jesus is showing you how to connect with the Father here, so you need to look out there and see what the Father is doing so that you can be part of his agenda. It is an absolute misreading of John chapter 5. That's not what Jesus is telling you to do or showing you how to do. The description that Jesus there gives in John chapter 5 is a unique relationship between the Father and the Son as the fact that the two are make up two uh, persons within the, the three persons of the one essence that is the one true God. Okay, He's not saying, so what you need to do, everyone, is look out there and observe out there what God is doing, and then join him in doing it. Does that language sound familiar? We need to join God 
in his initiative. We need to join with God in his agenda. We need to join with God in what he's doing in the world. If you spend any time in the emergent church or the seeker-driven churches, this is exactly how they talk, and they've got it from Blackaby, and Blackaby gets it by twisting John 5 experiencing God. That's what we're buying into. You guys might remember Mark Beeson's message from a few weeks ago during the Awakening series. He unpacked this. If you got your workbooks, grab them. You got these guys? And turn to the very, very back. The very back. The, actually, the cover at the back of your workbook. This is kind of a, a roadmap for our journey and you've got that right there in the back of your workbook so you can refer to it over and over again. This is going to become like ingrained in us over the next, uh, the next few months as we move through this process together. Just check it out with me. I don't, I don't have it on the screen for you because I wanted you to see it in your workbook. So this is, this is these guys, um, Blackaby, have taken this experience of Jesus and tried to map out what it looks like for you and me. God is always at work around you. Fundamental baseline belief. God is always at work around you. Okay, he's right. That's a fundamental baseline misbelief. God is always at work around you. Yes, he is, but listen to what he means by it. God pursues a continuing love relationship with you that is real and personal. That he's seeking you out. Again, you remember this weekend, God says, I want to be in an intimate relationship with you specifically. He's got enough bandwidth to seek you out, to know you and call you into it. Number three, God invites you to become involved with him in his work. God invites you to become involved with him in his work. Wow. Because <laughs> this one always blows my mind, right? Because couldn't he find a better way to do it? I mean, I know some of you. <laughs> and I know me. And I know that I can be fickle, and I know that I can lose patience, and I know that I can be really selfish sometimes, and I know that not every day do I wake up with God's purposes on my mind. And yet, he still wants to use us. I think probably because that's um, what, what a loving parent wants for his kids. I mean, if you're a parent, I'm assuming that there have been tasks that you have undertaken where you brought your kids along for the journey, and you could have done it, you know, more efficiently, cleaner, less mistakes, less stuff to clean up, but you decided to do it with your kids because you love them, and, um, and you love having them with you in this world, and I think that's God's heart toward us. So God invites you to become involved with him in his work. Number four, God speaks by the Holy Spirit through the Bible, prayer, circumstances, and the church to reveal himself. Okay, listen to the list, Okay. Backing it up. Heart toward us. So God invites you to become involved with him in his work. Number four, God speaks by the Holy Spirit through the Bible, prayer, circumstances, and the church to reveal himself. His so God speaks through the Bible, circumstances, through the church. This isn't sola scriptura. This is God speaking all over the place. So we got multiple streams of revelation here. It is not sola scriptura, but God speaking through all of these all of these different means, are probably all weighted equally. in His ways. Now, can I um, can I jump in on this one for just a second? So, uh, I've been kind of all over the board on religious environments. Maybe you've had some different religious experiences too. So, I've been in um, kind of stuffy religious environments where uh, nothing spontaneous ever happened. Right? I've been in scarily spontaneous environments, like kind of spooky, creepy stuff going on, you know, like I wasn't sure if it was an episode of Paranormal or the church, you know, like that kind of, 
kind of weird. Maybe you've, you've been around those environments. Maybe they freaked you out. Maybe, maybe they, they lit something up inside of you. I don't know. But I'm just saying, I've, I've kind of had all those different experiences. And sometimes I kind of get tired of the... Sometimes I feel like I've been in environments where they, they, the framework is just completely and utterly about... You know, God's Spirit is going to do something, and we're going to be completely passive in it, but when God's Spirit does something, we're all going to cry a lot. And then, like, I don't know, like, get on our knees for a while, and in this completely passive experience, we're just waiting for God to create an emotional thing in the room. I'm being way more honest with you guys than I should be. So sometimes, then I, that, that kind of thing kind of pulls me back this way a little bit, because I, I, you think that I'm emotional, sappy, sucker because you see me up here talking and playing music, what you don't know is I get to decide what I talk about up here and I'm in control and I'm fine with that. But when I'm in a real relationship or conversation, it scares me a little bit, you know? And so um, anyway, we need to lean into this one. At least I need to lean into this one. He says, God's invitation for you to, or no, God speaks by the Holy Spirit through the Bible, prayer, circumstances, and the church to reveal himself, his purposes, and his ways. Sometimes religious experiences, when, when God's actually like stirring something up, are a little bit uncomfortable. But you know what I've decided for myself? That's better than a stale, dead, unliving thing that I call my faith that isn't. And if God's got to do real work in the world, I want to be awake to it, even if it's a little bit uncomfortable. So we need to be awake to the thing that God is doing in the world, because God's speaking through those things. we got to find them and then join him. You know, to, in order to experience him. See the problem? So maybe God, um, God might, will speak to you in, in, in this time together. He might poke around in areas that make us uncomfortable. And it'd be, it'd be really easy when that happens to pull back a little bit, right? You know, to kind of reel it in, circle the wagons, and decide that's a little bit farther out there than I wanted to go. And I just want to tell you, your time is too valuable. Your, your fall, like this autumn season you've got, is too valuable. Don't waste a semester of your life if that's going to be your mindset. Lean in. If it gets a little uncomfortable, lean in even more. And, and let God speak to us and let him poke around. Lean into what? What does that sentence even mean? Lean into what? A little bit. And I think it'll be helpful if all of us just decide we're going to do that. We're going we're to kind of count the cost today and decide... Better that God would speak and maybe even make us a little bit uncomfortable and we would go through a radical adventure with him where we start... Radical adventure because God is speaking, not in his scripture, through experiences, the church, through circumstances. Experience him in life-giving ways and he starts to use us to change the world around us, then that we would be comfortable and a year from now we would have no... God uses us to change the world around us. Different gospel. ...to tell about what God did. Amen? You guys with me on that? Is that okay? Are we good? Okay, let's move on. Number five, God's invitation for you to work with him always leads you to a crisis of belief that requires faith and action. This is important too, because if you think that a crisis of belief means you're doing something wrong, you'll back down. If you grew up in religious environments where religious people always seem to be in control of everything, and you think that God's dream and destiny for your life is that you will be in control, then, then, then God's going to like start speaking to you. You're going to come to um, an opportunity for a decision. He's going to ask you to become uh, vulnerable with somebody in a way that you weren't expecting to, and you're going to have a crisis, and you might think that that vulnerability... Now, I want to point something out. All of these things he's saying that God's going to do, he's not using a text, a biblical text, to actually prove any of it, because John 5 doesn't teach this. John doesn't say... Jesus didn't say this. John didn't write it. 
all of these assertions he's making about God here and what he wants to do and how he's going to do it, the Bible doesn't say any of this. ...means that something's going wrong, that this experience has somehow gotten skewed. But I want to tell you right now, that's going to be normal. Expect it. You might feel like God's speaking to you to open your door or your heart to your neighbors in ways that might be costly for you, or like unpredictable ways. You don't know what happens when you let that weird neighbor know that he can come over to your house, right? And you're going to have a, a crisis moment where you're going to have to ask yourself, I've, maybe I've been in control for a long time. I kind of like how my life is working out. It's really predictable. But maybe if we just decide right now that those little crises are going to be normal and we're going to choose to step into them further when they come, then, then we'll know that it's supposed to be that way. And, and, uh, and then we'll see what God does with all that. Uh, number six, you must make major adjustments in your life to join God in what he's doing. We don't even have you must make major adjustments in life to join God in what he's doing. Really, you got a verse that says any of this. I'm to get into that, which is why we have 13 weeks or 12 or whatever it is. Number seven, you come to know God by experience as you obey him and he accomplishes his work through you. You come to know God by experience as you obey him and he accomplishes his work through you. So you don't come to know God by, by his word. No, you come to know him by your experiences. Some of you guys know who Ron Vandergrind is. Uh, Ron is a, a leader in our church and um, has lots of experience with the experiencing God stuff. Ron has been all over the world, and he's done, seen God do radical, radical things. And I loved how Ron described this. Ron said, um, if all you've done is study some theology, it's no wonder like, you have to motivate yourself to share this good news with people. But if you've experienced God, you're going to have to, like, shove a sock in it to keep yourself from talking. Notice that he, at this point there's a dichotomy. If all you've done is study theology, no wonder it's hard for you to talk to anybody. That's just dry. That's just boring. But if you've experienced God, notice experience, experience somehow trumps study of God's word. You're going to come away, like, have you ever had a risky, adventurous experience? And when you get back from it, it was... Risky, adventurous. Uh-huh. Roller coaster ride, you were scared at parts, but it was exhilarating, and you can't shut up about it now. You're just, you're prone to talking about it. You can't help but explode because of what, what God did, what you experienced, what happened uh, on the inside and in the world around you. And then it drives you, it fuels you to share how good God is with the world, Right? Well, look, if we decided that every follower of Jesus is going to be a reproducing follower of Jesus, if we believe that God really wants to take this movement called Granger Community Church and, like, blow the doors off of this thing into the community, then the first step is for you and I to kind of blow the dust off our hearts and step into some risky scenarios and let God do new and amazing things in and through us. Because that's what's going to ignite that evangelistic passion inside of us to tell others about how good God is and what Jesus is doing in this world. What exactly is Jesus doing in the world? My experiences might be different than yours. How can we come to any consensus on that? Um, so this is, this, is, uh, this is foundational for the effort that we have over the next five years um, to ignite a church planning uh, movement. Um, to take the mission that each one of us has that God has given us seriously to go out into the world and be a part of what he's doing. And it starts with experiencing. Go out in the world and be a part of what he's doing. Again, I just got to highlight these. This is bizarre language. 
God and having those kinds of stories to tell, that kind of vibrant living relationship with him so that we can share it with others. So that Yeah, and if you're not doing that while well, you don't have a vibrant living relationship with God, you probably just have a dry, dusty, theological relationship with your Bible. Um, that's what we're going to be getting into over the next 12 weeks. That's what we're invited into. This is the essence of being a Christ follower, and um, this is what the program is all about. Um, so we just wanted to give you that like overview this week. Good? Let's go back to your tables now. And I want to give you a chance um, to chat with each other about a, uh, one particular question, and it's this. When you hear the phrase, experiencing God, what comes most to mind? Now, it's really important that you be honest about this. This is not like what's self-deception right answer. This is what's your answer. What's real? What's honest? When you hear the phrase experiencing God, what comes most to mind? Do you, um, Notice it's not a biblical phrase. That's another thing that comes to my mind. You think that must be reserved for pastors, saints, and better people than me? Maybe you think, I thought only people in the Bible experienced God. Isn't that like hocus pocus stuff that's just supposed to happen in the pages of that book? Maybe you think I've never experienced God the way most Christians have, but maybe you want to. Maybe you think I cherish some memories of personally experiencing God, and because I've had those memories, I want to be a part of that again. So would you, would you take about uh, 10 minutes uh, around your tables and answer that question? When you hear the phrase, experiencing God, what comes most to mind? Take some time and do that. Okay, now, just so you know, I'm going to fast forward. We're not going to listen to 10 minutes of silence. I'll fast forward the, uh, the, the video to the next point where he picks up from there. So when you hear the phrase experiencing God, what comes most to your mind? Notice he's not really teaching biblical doctrine, a biblical teaching, something the church has taught from the beginning. This is all at a, at the very foundation based upon a misreading and a twisting of John chapter 5. The entire Blackaby curriculum is based on a twisting of John 5 and an application of it that isn't there in the text when you read it in context. Very frightening when you think about it. I, uh, in my group, there were, there were two responses that I heard from other people in my group that really, really resonated with me. One of the responses... Really, really resonated with me. I'm the, I get to determine what truth is. When you hear experiencing God that resonated with me is, I can feel kind of skeptical. Like, maybe you've been around people and it feels like they hear God like every hour on the hour, you know? And you're like... Yeah, like Patricia King. I'm sure she experiences something. Uh, it's funny because every time you hear from God, he says exactly the thing that you want to hear, you know, or, or something like that. Or what about Perry Noble? So that's one response that I can really relate to. It's kind of skeptical, you know? I mean, we should just be honest about that if that's some of your experience. Another response I heard in my group that I can really relate to is kind of scared, kind of nervous. Because if God's really going to speak, and I imagine he might, he might deal with like areas in me that I, I'm comfortable holding on to, and I, I'm not really that interested in handing over to him. And so there's a little bit of apprehension about that. So God's going to tell me to do things that I may not want to do. Um, but hmm, don't we have a bunch of that already in the Bible? You understand what I'm saying? And now you, somehow a personal direct put your finger in the light socket experience of God is somehow supposed to make that more real, apparently. I think that's a really honest response, too, and I can relate to that. Sometimes when God has spoken in my life or moved in my life, it's, um, it, I've had to go through something difficult because of it. I've been better on the other side, 
but I've had to go through something difficult because of it. So I just really appreciated kind of those honest responses in our group, and maybe you had some of those in yours too. For the rest of the night, we're almost done, believe it or not. I just want to give you some, some handles for how to go at the workbook for the week, and uh, we'll kind of ramp things up in a couple of minutes here. But first of all, if you want to, grab your workbook so we can talk about this. Um, they call things in your, in your workbooks, they call them units. There's unit one, unit two, unit three. Unit and week are basically the same thing. So week one, week two, week three, it's like unit one, unit two, unit three. So we're going to embark on unit one this week uh, after tonight. Got it? So you're going to go home, every one of us, we're going to go home, and we're going to crack open unit one in our workbooks. You're going to have five days of, of stuff that you can accomplish over seven days. So you get two days pass every week. And, you know, maybe one of them you'll want to use the day that you actually do the group experience. So if, if you're online, maybe the day that you log in online to actually do this, maybe that's the day that you're going to not actually do work, work time on your own. Or maybe uh, when you're going to gather with your men's group, maybe that day you won't do the group stuff. And you have another day off too, where you're not going to be in your workbook. But five days a week, um, and this is really where the stuff happens. I hope you mi- don't miss this. Th- this is where it happens for us through the week, okay? Not in the Bible, but in the workbook. The thing, the thing that really happens is there in the workbook. And uh, you might need to go ahead right now and start thinking about the time and place that you're going to carve out for this. If you have a hectic household, you might need to like, figure out the, the place that you... I want to ask an obvious question. If the Experiencing God curriculum were really biblical, then why hasn't the church taught this until Blackaby came along? go to do this. If you have a busy schedule, you might need to start thinking right now about how you're going to put this on the calendar every day and block out that time to make it happen. If, uh, if your day is anything like mine, if it's not on my calendar, it ain't happening. Am I right? Do any of you live in that reality? So you might want to go ahead and plan on that now. You're going to have a memory verse at the beginning of each week or each unit. And like on, on, on unit one, it's, it's here in the, in the shaded part of the page. And uh, the cool thing is they've actually given us cards at the back of our book, you can rip these out, and they've got the memory verse on them. So as you go through every week of the experience, you could rip out one of these cards, tape it on your steering wheel, put it in your wallet, tape it to your bathroom mirror, uh, whatever's helpful for you to get that verse and and let you kind of process that throughout your day, every day of the week. There's that. Secondly, you've got these five daily assignments. Uh, They say you should take about 30 minutes a day on these is what they're thinking this is going to take for you. You might find out that it takes you a little more time or a little less time. I would encourage you, if it takes you five minutes, you might change your approach a little bit to this thing, okay? <laughs> I know you can read very fast. That's very good. But there's, there's time built in here for prayer and for listening to yourself. And you might find that you really benefit. For a lot of us, this will be the first time in a long time that we've carved out 20, 30 minutes to really intentionally listen to our hearts during the day, to intentionally listen to God. This might be the first time for a lot of us where... So we're listening to God somewhere outside of his word. ...have some intentional prayer time built into our day, and that's going to be a huge gift to you. It's going to feel costly at first because you're going to have a to-do list in the back of your head, and you're going to be thinking about how quickly you can get through this so you can get on with your day, but you'll be robbing yourself of a really profound experience if you rush through this too quickly. So you've got about 30 minutes each day when you can move through this. Um, It's important that you be really honest with yourself as you go through this. Look, there's there's no point in lying to a workbook, okay? (laughs) And if you really need to... This may not be your next step. There may be some other next steps that we need to take first, okay? (laughs) Let's take a really good example. Will you turn to page 11 in your workbook for a second? I just want to give you an example of this. Page 11, and then look at question 5. Page 11, question 5. 
It says, if you do everything Jesus tells you, see this about halfway down the page there in the bold. If you do everything Jesus tells you one day at a time, will you always be in the center of where God wants you to be? Check your response. And then you've got these options. What does the sentence mean? If I do everything that Jesus tells me to do, will I be in, every day, will I be in the center of what? What are you talking about? Center of what? I mean, serious. I mean, I, I already don't do everything Jesus wants me to do that's recorded in the revealed word of God. You think I'm going to do any better if, he, if I experience him directly? No, Jesus does not guide people specifically. No, by seeking to follow Jesus, I could end up going the wrong way. It is much wiser to wait until God tells me all the details before I begin moving my life in a particular... Are you laughing at that one? <laughs> yes, if I follow Jesus one day at a time, I will be right in the center of God's will for my life. Now, I want to suggest that one of those answers might seem like the right answer, but I don't think it does you any good to figure out what the right answer is. I think you should actually be honest and say, what's... I mean, what do I really think about that? What does my life reflect of that? And, and, and think about that for a little bit. There's a self-honesty here that's really, really important. Um, and by the way, I hope, I hope you've been around our, our church, this family, long enough to know that we value honesty around here. Nobody needs to put on a mask. And so I hope that translates into your personal time, too. Like, we're not looking to see who's the, the biggest super Christian in the lot. I feel like this is group therapy. We just want to be honest together on this journey. So questions like that, I hope you'll be really honest and just think about What's going on in your heart as you see that? You've got a daily review. You can look at page 13 for an example of this, where you'll kind of review everything that you just went through and have a chance um, to just kind of process this together and pray and ask God to identify some stuff that's really important and what you've experienced there. And then uh, uh, the last thing that they point out is that a, a daily journal might be really helpful for you too. So in addition to the workbook, which is really important for this journey, you might, through this process, decide that you want an actual journal where you can, you can write and write and write, where you're not limited to the little spaces that they give you here. If you turn to page 271, you don't have to do this now, but page 271, there's a whole page there about keeping a spiritual journal that might be really important for you in this experience. And I hope you'll check that out. And some of the stuff you'll want to do right away so it can um, get included in your experience from the very beginning. So next week, a week from now or a week from whenever you guys are gathering, in week two of your experience, whether you're gathering at the Granger campus or you're doing an online thing or whatever, the week between how you're experiencing this teaching in this time right now, the week between now and then when we gather again in your environment, you're going to do, all of us are going to do the first five uh, sections in this thing in unit one. Are we all tracking with this? Like we're out of here tonight, tomorrow morning, you're waking up with your cup of coffee or whatever gets you going maybe, and you're going to grab this thing and, and start doing it. And then we'll come back and it'll be very important that you've done the workbook stuff though. We're not like here to guilt you, but next week's experience will not be the same for you if you don't do your workbook. I don't think it will. You don't want your experience to not be the same. I mean, that'd be bad enjoyable for you if you don't do the workbook. I don't think it'll be as meaningful for you if you don't do the workbook. So please hear me when I say this experience is assuming that we're all doing the workbook together throughout the week and coming back together, having been through everything that the workbook has for us during the week. Everybody tracking with me? Yeah, sir. I'm sorry? Oh, Gotcha. So next week, uh, next week at the Granger campus here, we have this big thing called the AND conference, which every one of you should go to. You just need two days off work. It's great. Um, and a lot of things are canceled, but this is on. 
And Walt, you can correct me if I'm missing anything, but all the expressions of experiencing God, whether it's the Monday night thing, the Tuesday morning, I think Tuesday morning late. All of the expressions of experiencing God. I mean, what is this language? Wednesday morning men or whatever that works out to. Everything's on next week, okay? So just show on up next week for your normal, regularly scheduled programming for experiencing God, and we'll do that together. Cool? Thanks for asking that, though. That's good. Um, Hey, turn to page 270, will you? Everybody turn to page 270 in the workbook. Page 270. On my, on, my, on my home screen on my computer when I log into the internet, when I open my, my internet browser, I do the tab browsing thing. How many of you do the tab browsing thing? So you have multiple home pages that open, right? And so that's how I make sure that the, the few things I always like checking in on because there's always interesting content are always right in front of me when I open my browser. One of those places is the Harvard Business Magazine because there's really smart people who think about leadership and they put it out there for free. So that's a pretty good deal, right? I don't, I don't need to pay tuition for that. I read um, over and over and over again there, they talk about what contributes to personal success and organizational success. And over and over and over again is reiterated there and everywhere else. If you write down your goals, you have this like gigantically larger likelihood that you're going to live them out. Have you experienced that in your life? Have you seen that kind of research? This is like documentable, verified, bona fide, every other kind of fide I can think of. This is, this is legitimate. If you can write down your goals, there's a much greater likelihood that you're going to live them out. We have a chance to do that right here in our book, actually. And just make a commitment. If this seems like a little Sunday school to you, I get that. I already told you how I feel about the aesthetics in the book. But I think it's actually really important uh, for us to do this. There's a chance for us to just say, I'm in. Like, I'm on board with this thing. I, I kind of know what I'm getting into now. I've heard about the commitment that it involves, and I'm in. So um, we have a chance to just write our name, and we're saying that we're covenanting with our group to do the following, to complete the study of the Experiencing God workbook each week before the group session, to carve out that time. And I'm telling you, plan on it ahead of time, because if you wait till the day of, it's just not going to happen. Two, to pray regularly for my fellow group members, I think that's a really big deal, that we would actually offer that up to each other. Because, you know, there's no such thing as a follower of Jesus with no family because you're part of the family of God, right? All right, thanks. Number three, participate in all group sessions unless urgent circumstances beyond my control prevent my attendance. When unable to attend, I will make up the session at the earliest possible time with the group leader or with the assigned group member. Now, a note here, and Walt, you can weigh in if I'm missing anything here. But we'll have, everybody who's registered for Experiencing God has online access to the content. So we know that some of you signed up and you know you've got travel, you've got fall break plans, you, you, know that you, you already know that you'll be out of town. We understand that that's the way life works these days. But you'll be able to go online in real, like not in real time, but during that week and, and grab that week's stuff so that you're not going to be behind. And it'll be important that you do that because if you're on for three weeks in your environment, whether it's online or whether it's uh, your women's group, men's group, family group, or Monday nights, and then you miss a week, you're going to want to come back the next week and be on the same page with everybody. And the way to do that is to take advantage of the online thing. If you registered, you should have gotten an email with the link and the password to check that out. Um, that's important. Number four, participate openly and honestly in the group sessions. Number five, keep confidential any personal matters shared by others in the group. Number six, be patient with my Christian brothers and sisters and my church as God works in us all to make us what he wants us to be. I will trust God to convince others of his will, I will not try to manipulate or pressure others to do what I think is best. I will simply bear witness of what I sense that God may be saying to us and watch to see how the Spirit uses that witness. Number seven, pray at least weekly for my pastor and my church. And then there's other um, notes here that you can make as a group too. And you have a chance to sign that and date that. And um, I'm actually going to give you two minutes to do that 
right now. So we'll just turn up some music and give you a chance to think about that and put your name on the dotted line and say that you're going to do that. I'm going to do that too. So you have to sign a covenant there um, as you're working your way through the Experiencing God workbook. All right, let me pull us back together, and we're just going to wrap this thing up. A couple of other quick notes for you. If you pre-ordered your workbook before today, uh, we should have those for you at the bookstore, and you can grab them on your way out tonight so that you can head home with them. If you ordered them tonight, I'm afraid we won't have them for a couple of days. There's nothing we can really do about that. Um, but you should check in when you come back for weekend services uh, this coming weekend and see if they've got them. And you might have to squeeze a couple of sessions into a day. And that's not really ideal, but at least after a week, we'll all be on the same page and we'll be off and running again, okay? So that's all, that's all really good. Um, shoot. And there, oh, there's, yeah, there's two more points, and then we're, we're off and running. One, one other thing. Um, if you look around the room, if you think about uh, how many people are a part of this, not just here, over a thousand people that are doing this Experiencing God journey together as a church. If you think about everything from like the table setup that has to happen, you know this room didn't look like this yesterday, right? And you think about the registrations and the book ordering. Um, honestly, there's too many people for me to name, but we've got a bunch of staff and volunteers who turned this thing around and bent over backwards to let this whole new experience that we didn't have any systems built for um, happen. And I just wonder if you'd want to thank them with me for all their effort, yeah? And we're really going to benefit from their work over these next few weeks. Awesome, thanks. That being said, uh, can I pray for us? And um, let's just ask God to just kind of pour out his blessing on this experience over these next few months, and then we'll be out of here. Let's pray. God, we are here, even though we come from all sorts of different places, because we believe the same thing, which is that you're alive and that you are um, working and that we've been invited to be a part of that. So God, whether we are like brand new at following your son, whether this whole experience is completely unfamiliar to us, or God, maybe we've been following you and, and, and connected to you for years and years and years. And the, the beautiful thing, God, is that I know that your spirit is able and ready to customize this experience for every one of us. And somehow we're going to experience um, a radical unity through this, while at the same time you do these specific and unique things in each one of our hearts. That's what we pray for tonight, God. We pray that... Um, that you would take us up on our word, God. We are ready and willing. And we know that you might stir in places that are uncomfortable for us, but we want that, God, because it's better than the status quo. God, we know that there are people around us who you love and you want to use us to reach out to them. And, uh, and it's worth whatever this journey means for that to happen. God, as we move through this in the next few weeks, I pray that you would help us to be extra vigilant in carving out the time and the space in our lives to encounter you every day as we work through the workbook. As we come back together week to week, I pray that you would build our sense of trust with one another, our sense of family with one another, um, in the different environments that we're in as we're journeying together, God. And uh, more than anything, God, we just pray, uh, we pray that, that we would become people who are more in love with you and that the world would be drawn to you because of this experience. That's the bottom line for us, God. And we want um, to get to tell lots and lots of stories in the future about what you did through this. And so we're going to take you up on your offer, God. Tell lots and lots of stories of what you did through this, not lots and lots of Bible stories. And uh, we pray this all in the name of your son, Jesus, and every one of us said, amen. Amen. Thank you, guys. We'll see you next week. All right. So that's our first installment. And, yeah, I, I went through it. I played it all in order to kind of keep it all in context. And uh, I have Blackaby's book. I have a copy of the uh, the workbook as well. 
And got to tell you, it the whole listen, folks. The foundation on this thing is faulty. It's based on a twisted and mis misreading of John chapter five. John chapter five doesn't teach us how to connect to the Father, and you know, and then look out there somewhere to see what the Father is doing and join Him in it. Um, this whole Blackaby teaching is faulty and false. It does not rightly handle God's word. It is not based upon a correct understanding of what God teaches, and it gets us out of God's word and thinking that our experiences are on par with God's word, the Bible, as far as revelation and how God talks to us. And so somehow we can divine God's unique individual will for us as people, well, by learning how to read the tea leaves of our experience. This is not Christian teaching. This is false doctrine, a false epistemology. This is not what we're called to do. We are called to understand God through what he's revealed about himself in his word. This has us chasing our experiential tales. So what we'll do next week is on, you know, again, I'm shooting for Monday, We'll do week two of this teaching, and we'll start walking through this along with Granger on this Experiencing God curriculum to see if what they're being taught there is true, if we can really trust Blackaby's teaching uh, to give us a way of hearing God's voice outside of his word. So far, not looking good at all. The whole, the, the very foundation of this thing, well, it's built on a false reading of Scripture. So if you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address is talkback at fightingforthefaith.com. Or you can ask to be my friend on Facebook. It's facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian. Or you can follow me on Twitter. My name there, at pirate Christian. Till tomorrow, may God richly bless you in the grace and mercy won by Jesus Christ and his vicarious death on the cross for all of your sins. Amen. Amen.